Welcome, friends, to the inaugural episode of Whatever Happened to Vic Diaz, our dive into the wild career of one of the least celebrated character actors of a generation. My name is Liam O'Donnell, one half of the cinema smorgasbord hive mind, and joining me is my Canadian brother, Doug Tilly. Doug, I'm so excited to start this experience with you. Liam! This is very exciting. I don't know anything about Vic Diaz. This is an idea that you had for one of the shows under this cinema smorgasbord umbrella. But when you presented it, I was like, yes, this is exactly the sort of niche material that no one could possibly care about. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that ma- sure. It makes me very excited. And I'm not being facetious. That It's exactly the sort of thing I like, which is why I'm such a mysterious character in the world. Oh, yeah. I mean, people are utterly confused by you and, and, and who you are and what you're doing or whatever. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think the thing to address right away mm. is um, why are we doing this? I guess we'll start with <laughs> why. Do, do Should we start with who Vic Diaz is or should we start with why I care who Vic Diaz is? Well, I think either of those are, are pretty reasonable questions. Uh, I mean, it's interesting because this new format of this show allows us to dive deep into the careers of actors that are maybe not as celebrated that when you right. tell people that you have a podcast about a person, they're like, who is this person? Why should I care about them? And sometimes sure. I just don't have a good answer for those questions. So you are going to sure. give me, because I'm the audience surrogate, it's one of the great things about me on this show, you're going to explain to me who Vic Diaz is and why I should give a shit about him. So Vic Diaz uh, was a character actor known primarily for his portrayal of, of villains, honestly, though, you know, uh, other characters as well. Uh, his career began actually with an uncredited role uh, in 1950. He was in uh, Fritz Lang's uh, American Gorilla in the Philippines. And from there, he did a lot of roles uh, in, well, a variety of films, but I know him primarily from his roles in the uh, exploitation films filmed in the Philippines. Uh, a lot of people might know them from uh, Machete Maidens Unleashed, mm. the documentary uh, uh, outlining some of those films. Uh, but for me, I first actually saw uh, Vic Diaz in the movie we're talking about today, The Big Bird Cage. Uh, the Big Bird Cage uh, was one of the first films of this particular women in prison genre that I saw. And, uh, well, despite some problems that we'll be discussing later, I, I was drawn in and wanted to, to, to know more. And a, as I began checking out uh, various um, exploitation, other kinds of horror films, other sort of international films of the 70s, uh, I noticed this character actor showing up again and again and at the time i didn't even know his name i didn't know anything about him i didn't know that he had been compared as like the filipino equivalent to peter lorry i didn't know anything except for that i recognized him and and honestly for a while the only people that i would recognize film after film were him and sid haig well i know who sid haig is though i'm sure there's more there for me to know as well but i didn't know who this filipino actor was and it was important to me because in a lot of these films and i don't know if you've had this experience as well um sometimes the filipino actors become less obvious they become sort of like faces in the background (laughs) i noticed that here (laughs) yeah that just despite being filmed in the philippines there's not often a 
Filipino imprint on a lot of these films. Mm. And yet, that's not true of Vic Diaz. Whether we're talking about uh, Beasts of the Yellow Knight, or we're talking about um, Night of the Cobra Woman, or we're talking about uh, Raw Force, whatever it is, he was continually standing out to me, and I realized I should know. I, I, I've noticed this actor enough that I should know who he is. And um, honestly, as much as you're coming into this as like, I don't know who Vic Diaz is, part of my desire to do this particular uh aspect of cinema smorgasbord was so that i could know who vic diaz is other than a familiar face other than someone whose performances are over the top at times are often amusing and interesting um sometimes even bordering on offensive sometimes Um, (laughs) yeah i wanted to know a little bit about him and a little bit about how he managed to have something like a career uh from this time in film uh in a way that not a lot of other actors were able to um you know i think there's something interesting there for me uh vic diaz is this like familiar face uh that kept showing up and i don't know i i guess the reason that mattered to me is i i was comparing him to all these other names that i'm supposed to know for example sid haig you know uh, i for a while was seeing vic diaz and sid haig the same amount of times in, in, in these movies and yet I'm expected to know who Sid Haig is. And granted, that's probably because of Spider Baby or it's because of more recent things, you know, uh, Devil's Rejects or whatever mm-hmm. people want to say uh, and, and I get that. I'm not downplaying uh, the work that Sid Haig has, did throughout his life <laughs> but, but within the context of these particular films it was strange how I was very familiar with who Sid, Sid, Haig, Sid Haig was and I had no idea who this other person was who i was seeing almost as much um liam i just just to interrupt you briefly yeah i just wanted to go back to the title that you have decided upon in regards to this podcast whatever happened to vic diaz is this uh is this like that richard simmons podcast where we're gonna uh try to track him down and we're gonna knock on his door and maybe harass him to the point that people actually turn on us that sort of thing no, I mean, I think the name is just a, a, a catchy way to get people interested because mm. for most folks, they don't know who Vic Diaz is. So saying it that way, whatever happened to, was a way for me to put weight on his name. To, it sort of suggests that we should know, that we should know what happened to him. We should know about his career, that he had enough of an impact on movies, especially within a certain context, that like he shouldn't be forgotten Hmm. you know i guess that's sort of my that's sort of my wish here i don't want to i don't want to um i don't want to put too much weight on this because part of my desire to explore his career specifically was that he was in a variety of films uh a lot of those films are going to be fun and trashy and that's what i wanted to talk to you about was these kind of like out there fun movies uh and I think some of those movies are going to be problematic and 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 a little bit like difficult for us in in 2020, but that's kind of the attraction as well, like an opportunity to talk about some of those things. Uh, but there is a bit of like a a more serious desire here to think about the gatekeepers and the people who decide what is and out of the canon, and mm. the people who decide who matters. For whatever reason, for a lot of people. Uh, Vic Diaz doesn't matter. Uh, And I'm talking about people who have a Raw Force t-shirt. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so that was part of my thought is I want to respect the work that he did while also analyzing and saying like, well, some of the work he did was probably 
maybe not great for his fellow Filipinos. Uh, for the Pinoy film community, didn't necessarily always do well. On the other hand, that's true of a lot of people, and a lot of times being not white in this world means uh, compromising and maybe taking roles that you wouldn't normally want to take, or maybe he loved those things. I, I don't know, but I think it gave us a fun opportunity to highlight him and give him the respect I think he deserves, while also like watching such a weird, fun variety of movies. Um, and the final point being, um, you know, as listeners know, we just had an Eric Roberts podcast. Uh, <laughs> someone, someone who we we also think doesn't get quite the same amount of respect, though, in a way that is even more infuriating. You know, I, <laughs> I, I kind of understand why your average person doesn't know who Vic Diaz is, but Eric Roberts, come on. Uh, on the other hand, Eric Roberts is still doing it. Right. What that means is that show had no end and will likely never have an end. We will be dead before that will be a finished topic. Uh, Vic Diaz, there's an end in sight. So while we're going to talk about a whole lot of really interesting films some of which he had major roles in and some of which he had very minor roles in there will be a point where it will end and we can move on to another actor who we think is worth discussing uh, and it's not sort of a an endless sisyphean task <laughs> uh one of the things that i'm so excited about in regards to this podcast is well there's actually two things one is that this kind of 1970s era of filipino uh, filmed exploitation movies is kind of a blind spot for me. It's it, To be totally honest with you, it's not something I've ever had a lot of specific interest in, specifically the women in prison genre, though that's not all we're going to focus on uh, generally on the show. But the other thing, and the kind of more exciting thing for me, is kind of the Filipino film industry in general. Because I feel like that's kind of, I wouldn't say untouched necessarily, but it's certainly uncelebrated in the general film fandom uh, of 2020, uh, and there, you know, there's the possibility, there's the potential. I'm always putting this out there for some hidden gems to be brought up again, especially if we get into some of the more obscure work uh, and not just kind of American-centered or American-backed films. Because there's, there's, you know, if we go back into the early days of Vic Diaz's career, it might be more difficult to find some of these films. But there's lots of material here that I just have never heard of before. I mean, that's a huge part of the appeal, not just, I think, for uh, you or for me, but but I think hopefully to the listener that, yeah, we're going to talk about I, I, my guess is most listeners are going to know today's movie, The Big Birdcage. But hopefully we'll be able to find and identify for you uh, listening to this things that you should search out uh, or things that you should avoid. And I, I'm hoping, <laughs> honestly, I'm hoping a lot more for things that you should search out. Even if Vic Diaz doesn't have a major role, maybe it's something that we end up loving that you haven't heard of before or, or haven't given a chance to. So yeah, I honestly, this, this whole cinema smorgasbord thing is about different angles for us to have fun conversations about film and hopefully engage the listener that way as well. I just, you know, I guess I could have gone with another actor, but there was just something Thing about Vic Diaz that I kept thinking about like this is someone who I've now seen so many times and I know so little about so obviously this podcast is going to be non-chronological we're just going to kind of pick and choose some of the interesting movies uh, that, that Vic Diaz appeared in one of the concerns that I have Liam and this is something that we ran into in the Eric Roberts podcast is when it comes to character actors uh, sometimes their appearances in these films are very minor. Does that bother you at all if we end up picking a movie and you get two minutes of Vic Diaz out of a 90-minute movie? No, I mean, here's here's my thing, is that 
unlike Eric Roberts is the fucking man in which we had a clear mandate to actually evaluate the work of Eric Roberts <laughs> on every episode and really get into whether he was qualifying as the man or not. Uh, I think of, I, I think of Vic Diaz as sort of a, uh, this this person whose career we're following sometimes he's going to have a huge role sometimes he's not but uh, um unlike eric roberts Vic Diaz was never like on the oscar shortlist you know what i mean like he's never been the the main the the super main guy he's definitely had larger roles than others so um yeah i, I would definitely prefer movies where he's in it more but i think it, in a way it's also uh we're getting to see films uh, from a place and from an era that we might not have otherwise gotten to see. Well, one thing I want to mention uh, is that we're going to still we're having fun here, Liam. We're going to have fun talking about this movie. We're going to have fun talking about Vic Diaz. But you know, we're still going to look at these movies with a critical eye because there are some elements, as you actually already referred to, that maybe haven't aged as well. And I, I don't think we should be afraid to talk about those elements and as as open a way as possible. Uh, you know, it, it, I know that some people. They feel like they want to turn off their brain when they're watching 1970s exploitation movies and just try to enjoy it. And maybe some of the things they enjoy most about those movies is the fact that they uh, have attitudes that might seem a little dated or quaint or whatever at this point. But, you know, I want to make sure that we feel comfortable to engage with those sort of ideas. I also want to – I think, A, that's just part of acknowledging – you know how we watch movies and what matters to us and it's part of understanding you know a, a film and, and all those things i also believe that everyone should be able to have as much fun and and enjoyment out of watching films as they can so for example in our movie today there's certain elements we're going to want to highlight even for folks who haven't seen the movie yet because maybe that's not fun for them. Right. <laughs> maybe maybe that's actually going to be difficult for them and they're mm-hmm. not going to enjoy it. So uh, I, I have no fear in saying that um, you know there's a lot of the big birdcage that I enjoy. Uh, but part of my uh, lack of fear in naming that is related to the fact that I'm also unafraid to name all the things that I think are maybe not so great. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, I'm excited. I'm ready to go. I want to dig into this guy. All right. Well, uh, are we going to take a break and then we'll jump in and talk about the big birdcage? I think we should take a break. And when we come back, let's talk about the big birdcage from the year 1972. Look, I, I felt like I was hosting for a second there. I mean, aren't <laughs> we just the same person, Doug? <laughs> well, you're a lot more uh, uh, debonair than I am, Liam. Uh, I, I think you mean sexy. When it comes to actual class, you're, you're way ahead. You're a little more uh, urban I, than me, I would say. Oh, that's for sure. <laughs> but that's not hard. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll be right back. Denied the one thing which would make their life bearable. Their overheated passions burst forth in a wild rampage of vengeance and destruction. <laughs> Big Bird Cage, starring Pam Greer, Anitra Ford, Candace Roman, Ted Abracci, Carol Speed, Karen McKevick, and Sid Haig. Let me die! I want to Welcome back, everyone, to our discussion of The Big Birdcage here on Whatever Happened to Vic Diaz. The Big Birdcage is a uh, women in prison movie from 1972, directed and written by legend of schlock, 
Jack Hill, <laughs> uh, starring Pam Greer, Anitra Ford, Candace Roman, Tita Bracci, Carol Speed, the 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 man Sid Haig, and of course the man of the hour, Vic Diaz. Um, so I don't know where you want to start with this, Doug. If you want to talk a little bit about Jack Hill, a little bit about this interview that you found with Jack Hill, or if we want to just jump into what we thought. Of the big bird cage. Well, maybe our general thoughts should uh, start. And is it okay if I give my general thoughts first? Because like I said, this is not a genre that I have a lot of, of specific interest in. Well, let me let me go ahead and let, for those few of you listening who haven't seen it, let you know what the big bird cage is about. Basically, uh, Big Bird Cage is a film set in the Philippines in which uh, a few characters find themselves uh, revolving around a horrible women's prison camp uh, in the jungle. Um, Anita Ford plays Anitra, my bad, Ford, plays Terry, a woman who has been um, intimately involved uh, with various members of the government, which has become an embarrassment both for the Philippine government and for uh, the U.S. government. Um, And it's become a bit of a scandal. And she due to a completely unjustifiable coincidence, uh, is in a restaurant that is being robbed by Pam Greer and Sid Haig, uh, quote-unquote revolutionaries, and she's taken hostage, and the police use this as an excuse to say that she was actually an accomplice and sent her to this horrible prison camp uh, being run partially by our man Vic Diaz as well as some other folks. I, I don't know which which character was the – or which actor played the um, – the warden. Warden. Yeah, the, that's Andres Centenera. Um, is that right? Yeah, and he's he, he's had a, oh, a there he is. Yeah, 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 fairly lengthy career in exploitation movies and non-exploitation movies as well. Yeah. So uh, basically, the the two plot lines we have is is uh, our our main uh, woman Terry getting to know the prison camp and trying to survive. Meanwhile, Pam Greer and Sid Haig are the worst revolutionaries ever, <laughs> and uh, they are. Uh, Filipino folks that they're working with in this revolution that hasn't happened yet decide that they would like a bunch of women. And so um, they have this bright idea to liberate a prison camp, I guess, assuming then that all these women would join the revolution once they were liberated from the prison camp. And so Pam Greer gets uh, intentionally arrested to be the the woman on the inside of the prison camp as uh, they attempt to free them all uh, from their imprisonment and begin the, the nascent revolution. Uh, Doug, what did you think of the Big Bird Cage from 1972? Liam, first of all, you fucked up big time. What did I fuck you up? You fucked up so big. Uh, this is something that I was curious about, so I had to do a little research on it myself. This movie, The Big Bird Cage, does not take yeah. place in the Philippines. This is a movie that takes place in some unknown country. Some unknown, potentially South American country. We're not supposed to think that these are... No, this is legitimately what Jack Hill said. No, I know, but it's the Philippines, Doug. We all know it's the Philippines. Look, that's the thing I've already discovered about Vic Diaz. Yeah, he plays Filipino. He plays Vietnamese. He'll play whatever nationality is necessary for the movie that he's in. But in the Big Bird Cage... He is not defined in any specific way, so we're not really talking about, and I think this is kind of actually important, Filipino politics of the mid-70s and the way that these revolutionaries, quote-unquote, interact with the politics of that era. This is definitely a piss take, but it's not a piss take about the Philippines. Look, I've seen enough of these, whether it's Savage (laughs) or uh, 
um, a couple of the other women in prison movies. I've seen enough of these Filipino exploitation films to know that, uh, in a sense, none of them are set in the Philippines, but they're all set in the Philippines because you can't just have a bunch of Filipino actors and and then try to capitalize on the fact that a they have Spanish uh, last names because of <laughs> um, you know the domination of Spain and the fact that most white people can't tell the difference between different kinds of brown people anyway and so they just go like yeah whatever it's a place where brown people live and there's a jungle no 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 I refuse to participate in that well I this mean one the of the Philippines. things about this movie in particular and and one of the reasons that you could probably justify its nationality as being anywhere in the world is the fact that a lot of the Filipino actors on display have to take a back seat to the uh, both black and white actresses that are on the forefront. uh, And I should say black and white, specifically American actresses that are on the forefront, uh, which is kind of strange to think about. It's like, why is this Filipino prison? Why do they have so many Americans in it? I mean, that is fair. And that's one of the themes I think of, uh, the whole Filipino exploitation moment is that uh, whoever it was, Jack Hill, Roger Corman, whoever, they all want the money. They want to save the money of filming in the Philippines. But outside of uh, Vic Diaz and a few other uh, select people, no one wants to employ Filipinos if they can help it. Um, uh, and I don't think that's, you know, that's easy to throw on some sort of, uh, you know, obvious racism. But I, I actually think that part of it, it's really just this fear. We need these names. We need these recognizable people. Um, it, it's even true when the movie is a little bit more, quote unquote, set in the Philippines, even though a lot of them don't really say the Philippines. But even when they're in a context where most of the characters are Filipino, um there still has to be some American, whether it, it, sometimes it can be black. You know, there's a couple of very Filipino black exploitation movies that I really enjoy. Uh, I already said Savage is one of them. Um, but uh, again, you need those American characters in their brain, um, which is a real shame and, and, and really is part of the inspiration for this podcast that somehow uh, Vic Diaz was able to still uh, get a few roles in these really biased productions. Now, I want to talk a little bit about this genre, this women in prison genre. Now, I've seen a few of sure. these movies. I've seen, you know, your, your Ilsa, She-Wolf of the SS and your Chain Heat and all that sort of thing. But, like, I've always been very curious. Like, what is the origin point of this as an idea for exploitation movies because this movie there are elements of it believe it or not that remind me slightly of the great escape but i mean it that certainly there must have been one that kind of kicked off the genre as a whole and i wonder in terms of that structure which also plays out in a lot of kind of general exploitation and even slasher movies which is 90 percent of the runtime features women being abused and uh, sexually and physically, and then in the final like ten percent, the women get their comeuppance on the uh, people who have been abusing them for it. So there is a moment of potential empowerment, uh, if you can call it that, at the end of the movie. But you still have to sit through a very lengthy period of uh, sometimes very sadistic content. Yeah, I mean, to be fair, I actually think that origins of these movies is a form of pornography. Hmm. Like, you know, that the, you know, you can go all the way back to like the 30s had some of these um had some of these films. If you, you can go oh, back that's to right. like Ladies They Talk About and Hold Your Man. Um and 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 so like I'm using I guess I'm using pornography loosely. I don't mean literally uh uh actual, you know, film 
sex, you know, but, non-simulated but titillation, sex. certainly. But titillation, yeah, let's say softcore is the origin. Now, granted, there are women in prison movies that are uh, more strictly pornographic. But I think the original idea here was at least, let's say, erotica rather than pornography. That it was meant to be titillation and that that abuse um, that I think in some of the early ones that I've seen, which, you know, I'm not an expert on the genre, but I've seen a good chunk as well, uh, that that the 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 even the abuse is somewhere along the lines of like sadistic male interest Hmm. you know more than female liberation and in fact i think that theme of they're going through this abuse so that later they can get their revenge is a is a bit of a later development in the genre it wasn't the original intention at all the original intention was to play off a uh, the sadistic uh, desires of the prison guard and be the sapphic sort of uh, undertones of a prison full of women uh, and, and and that to various degrees, some to very obvious and some to less obvious degrees. And, and I think in a, in a film like The Big Birdcage, a lot of the aggression and frustration is tied, A, to that same sort of sapphic... Uh, um, inclination but also to a certain uh stereotype of 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 a certain kind of woman that she's driven insane by the uh it you know the 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 lack of access to the male uh uh, physiognomy is is keeping her from her true sense of of purpose you know yeah this kind of really horrifying essentialized uh (laughs) sexuality to a lot of these movies yeah these women are horny as hell and they're willing to talk about it all the time but they're horny in a way that is very much defined by what men think women's sexuality is. And again, I don't right. need we don't need to go too far into that, but like these women are willing to fuck anybody and that's what they're that that's that is kind of a defining element of of at least some of these characters within the prison camp. But going back to kind of the the wider scope of of this film and films like it, there is that irony and you already kind of touched on it when it when it comes to Vic Diaz as an actor himself, but also the fact that there are Filipino uh, actors and actresses in this movie. And the film industry in the Philippines, I, I imagine it relied quite heavily on these foreign productions coming in. And and a lot of these actors, even though they're in the background, they're still getting work. So there is some visibility there for uh, actors and actresses who wouldn't get the opportunity otherwise. But the other side of that is, this is a female-led movie for the most part, even though Sid Haig has probably the central role of the... <laughs> good guys, if you can call them that. But, you know, the, most of the runtime features women in this movie. Sure. But there's a big trade-off there because of how they are presented because of the fact that there is a lot of nudity in this movie. Oh, yeah. Like, it, it's... It, one of the interesting things about the nudity in this movie is how kind of... Sometimes it's very focused on, but other times it's just incidental. And I don't just mean clothes being torn off. It's just that people are pushed around and then, you know, breasts are exposed just all of a sudden. And it feels very matter of fact. And there's something kind of, I don't know, it's weirdly off-putting, where, where of course it shouldn't be. That's actually a little more, a lot more natural, I should say, than the kind of nudity that you see in most movies. But it actually makes things feel a little more brutal because it's it's just like, we don't care about anything even the sexuality on display here at times particularly when violence is involved the only exception to that and i assume it had to be contractual is pam greer everyone else has some moment where they're exposed a little more than maybe they would like to be except for pam greer she just manages to uh don't be wrong not what i would call fully clothed either definitely uh definitely um you know uh sexualized and objectified but uh 
for whatever reason, never as exposed as the other actresses in the film. And again, I wonder if that is uh, if that was contractual. She was a by 72, you know, not a huge name, but was a bit of more of a, of a known figure than a lot of the other actors in this movie. Well, believe it or not, Liam, I have an answer for you for that question. Uh, oh, yeah. So I've been reading uh, the book uh, Jack Hill, the Exploitation and Black Exploitation Master, a film by film by Callum uh, Waddell or Waddell. Uh, actually, very talented historian regarding specifically a lot of exploitation movies. Uh, and he goes film by film, as the uh, book title would suggest, through Jack Hill's filmography. And with each one, he also has an interview segment about that particular film. So I was reading through it yesterday. And one of the things in the write-up he mentions is, is that it's very unusual that Pam Greer doesn't present any nudity in this movie and it is very conspicuous when you're watching the movie because like you said she's basically the only female character who doesn't uh and it's not like we for anyone who's familiar with pam greer's career it's not like she's never appeared naked on screen before in fact it's one of the things that kind of um because she was a playboy playmate it's one of the things that kind of uh is a uh recognized part of her career i guess you would say according to this interview there was no reason for it at all. It, it's not that there was a contractual obligation. This is apparently the only film that um, that Pam Greer did with Jack Hill that she doesn't appear topless, and he just said he didn't think didn't think of it or didn't think it was necessary, so he didn't write it into the movie. I mean, there are parts where she's riding around in the mud in what might as well be no clothes at all, but there's no specific reason, at least quoted by Jack Hill, that she doesn't appear naked in this movie. That is so interesting because, again, not that I particularly care one way or the other. It's just interesting because all the other actresses are so exposed, as you said, casually. There are definitely some very um, uh, male gaze, objectifying moments, <laughs> some of the shower scenes and stuff. There is sexualized moments, but there is a lot of nudity in this film that feels very natural to the context. Now, um, that doesn't necessarily justify it. That could be someone else's kind of kick kink or whatever uh but you know a lot of the ways that women are exposed in the film are just sort of happens it's just sort of there and so the fact that it never happens to pam greer it does seem like a choice it does seem like a choice because in some ways it feels like it's specifically being held back from you know what i mean where it's like this is teased and at some point we're going to deliver because you can say what you want about jack hill and his taste and the kind of movies he presented but he usually gave people what they paid for. That's kind of his deal. But that one yeah. in particular, you're right. It was hard not to notice. And like yourself, it's look, There's if you want to see Pam Greer topless, there's a lot of ways to do so. Um, but, but it did feel like in this movie, it was leading towards something and it didn't pull the trigger for some reason. Well, let's get back on track here. We, <laughs> we got off on a lot of different things and we didn't really get to like your deep thoughts about this film. So I found a lot of this movie really unpleasant to watch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and again, it's, it, it is in some ways the changing times. Uh, and we're going to get to specifically the presentation of homosexuality in this movie. But I want that to be its kind of own topic because I think sure. that that's kind of central to the Vic Diaz character here. But really, maybe it's just because I have a general distaste for women in prison movies because of that structure that I mentioned earlier. Which again, like you said, doesn't, it doesn't define every movie in this genre, uh, and I don't want to paint with such a broad brush, but this movie just has a lot of kind of sadistic violence against women, and it's kind of hard to watch. And specifically, there's a lot of sexualized violence against women. There's a part where Anitra Ford, she escapes from the prison, 
Uh, and she's her character is pretty complex anyway. But she escapes, goes for help. Of course, the first place she goes are full of these men who immediately try to gang rape her. And it's just this horrible, uh, partially, I guess, interrupted moment that that you know, there's no humor to it. There's no uh, wink to the audience. It's just presented as just this terrible thing because in this land where they are, which, I mean, thankfully it's not <laughs> defined specifically as the Philippines, basically it seems like almost everyone is evil in some sort of way or into in for themselves, I should say. Um, so th- I felt very bothered by that. You know, there is a pretty famous quote from this movie because at the very beginning where uh, Pam Greer and Sid uh, Haig, they... You know, they try to rob this group of rich people, and they capture Anitra Ford, and Anitra Ford uh, is uh, is in a cab with Sid Haig, and she asks what he's going to do with her, and he says, I'm going to rape you, and she responds to it. Now, you could interpret this as her kind of doing a power play on him, which is that, you know, I'm going to uh, say that I enjoy that specifically to get the one up on him to empower myself against him but you know her response is basically I like sex and he's like well then you're going to be my hostage and I mean that's I mean I know a lot of people point out that line anyways being horrible but that's a really rough horrible line um and and uh, the other thing is that a lot of people refer to this movie as comedic or as a satire even or maybe a parody of other women in prison movies and there is again a lot of humor in this movie a lot of bad taste humor a lot of humor that hasn't necessarily aged well but there's a lot of humor in it but to me that just makes the parts that are not humorous seem all the more kind of insidious and unpleasant uh and and so there there's a lot of this movie that i didn't necessarily enjoy that said there are parts that I had a lot of fun with. There's some camp elements here. That part where uh, the kind of towering Amazonian prisoner, she covers herself in chicken fat so she can attack uh, one of the other prisoners without being caught because people just slip off of her. Uh, I thought that was really clever. I thought that was really interesting. I liked a lot of the interplay between the women. Particularly, there's a sequence where, in fact, those two same characters were this kind of Amazon, very towering blonde that she has attacked this woman that who has been kind of uh, annoying her and, and picking at her for the entire movie. And then there's a moment where she is expected to kind of hold a piece of machinery of the, the, the titular big birdcage in place so this smaller woman can go underneath and repair it. And, she, you know, her life is literally in her hands. And there's some really terrific tension in that movie. And it shows real craft in, re- in regards to Jack Hill as a filmmaker. It's just maybe this genre itself isn't really for me. I hear what you're saying. I mean, I I think I'm actually not willing to write off. Um, I'm not willing to write off uh, women in prison movies overall because I think there are examples that go either way. And and, and honestly, there I think there's some subversion in the genre because I think there are times when. Um, when there really is more of a feeling of the, of women banding together against a patriarchal force and films that are less anxious about uh, the uh, lesbian themes and films that are um, exploring a kind of sexuality that I don't want to automatically attack that for some people there is uh, uh, this is a, this is a, fun ridiculous space in which to explore uh, certain things that being said I think this movie has some serious problems so for (laughs) me um, that earlier point about uh, 
the conversation between Anitra Ford and Sid Haig. You know, obviously that's gross. And, you know, part of the grossness there being that if you enjoy sex, you, you can't be raped. And we all know that that's ridiculous, stupid, and, and disgusting. Um, but what really bums me out later on about the uh, potential gang rape scene uh, is that it's uh, racist. That actually that we've already established that these women are in danger to some extent. Mm-hmm. Um, the point of that scene is the colonial, a white woman alone among natives, mm-hmm. you know, and that that it's meant to further degrade the context they're in, which the movie already does. And that's sort of my frustration with this film as compared to, um, uh, well, a bunch of other, uh, there, you know, there's probably three movies from this time period in which women are in a prison outside basically you know are in a, <laughs> some sort of prison camp and this one i think if my memory is correct now granted i first saw this whoo, 14 years ago 15 years ago uh and 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 i think my sexual politics and my racial politics were less refined at that point so while i definitely thought it was gross even then i didn't quite feel it as gross as I felt it on this viewing. Um, but I do think this is the worst of this era, though I think there are women in prison movies that make this one look like a PC, sure. you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, but but uh, of these particular films, I think this is the worst one. It, it ha- and the two reasons I feel that way is it does the most work, I think, to dehumanize the context. So let's say it's not the Philippines. It's some other place. It doesn't matter. The inclination is still that no one can be trusted in this other place that the government is entirely corrupt that the revolutionaries are too stupid to do anything and that the locals as soon as they see a tall white woman are going to try to you know victimize her and this is highlighted anyone who's familiar with this sort of colonialist narrative all you need to from the scene is not just the context but the soundtrack as soon as the danger comes up what do we hear we hear drums, mm. specifically, by the way, African drums, because let's just smush all jungle cultures together. Whenever you hear those drums and a woman is in danger, it's all this heart of darkness, colonialist anxiety about these people that not only are you you know, subjecting them to your will, but that it, they want to like devour you, that they, they want in some way to, to victimize you. Um, and it's, it's disgusting in and of itself, let alone the thing itself being disgusting. Though, you know, my one thought watching this is sort of a context thing, right? Like, you don't like women in prison movies. I am ambivalent. Sometimes I like them, sometimes I don't. But I do think at a certain level, women in prison movie means there's going to be violence against women or Mm -hmm. else this is not a depiction of women in prison. You know what I mean? Or it's not a depiction of prison, let's say. There's going to be some amount of violence. And I think that the question then becomes, can you do a redemptive move after violence? So this is a question not just for women in prison movies, but for rape revenge movies or, Mm -hmm. or honestly almost any kind of revenge movie. Can violence redeem prior violence? And at a philosophical level, I don't actually think it can. But narratively, I get that sometimes it functions and sometimes it doesn't. Um... And so that in and of itself is not anything for me uh, that I'm too worried about. It's really about the um, discerning the context. So like just the fact that that violence is there is one thing, but how do they do it? And I think in this film, the moments that are actually kind of like intense and brutal in the context of the camp. And by that, I'm not thinking of the sexual violence. I'm actually thinking of the violence of the sugar mill 
there's sure. this giant sugar mill that they call the bird cage. That's where the name comes from. Um, it, well, it's also obviously they're birds in a cage, quote, <laughs> but I think it's the this thing. And so that thing is dangerous. And so every time that thing goes wrong and someone gets hurt, then that violence to me makes sense. And it's about the danger of the camp or um, just the idea that if you try to escape, you could get hurt or something like that. That that makes sense. Um, but in a film in which you've made a decision already which is problematic and we'll get to this later of having all the guards be homosexual so that none of them have any sort of sexual inclination towards the female inmates to then still have a major running theme of sexual violence is a weird decision Mm. to make. Mm -hmm. It's unnecessary. It does nothing for the plot. And then it especially then makes the, the thing that I think we should discuss now, this homophobia of the film even more ridiculous because What's the point? If we're still going to put all the women in sexual danger, why even have the plot point of the mincing gay guards other than Vic Diaz and, and whoever else getting to, you know, and, and Sid Haig for a while, getting to do their worst impressions of uh, effeminate homosexual men? There there's really is the joke of that is the only reason for it to be there. It's It doesn't even serve a narrative purpose. So maybe we should explain those characters in a little bit more detail. So as you mentioned, Vic Diaz is a prison guard in this female prison. He's played as a mincing stereotype of a homosexual. Um, and in fact, they, they he not only is a homosexual, the very idea of, of female sexuality disgusts him in any situation where he's presented with it. And the women kind of shove that in his face uh, repeatedly because he waits outside their shower while they're showering and that sort of thing. Uh, and in fact, that homosexuality is not only presented in a stereotypical way, but it's also <laughs> used as his um, uh, as his downfall or the downfall of the camp because Sid Haig then pretends to be homosexual in order to develop a relationship with Vic Diaz and the other guard in order to get into uh, get a job as a guard within the prison camp itself. Yeah, and I. I... <sighs> Just having this as a plot point in and of itself is actually, I don't think, necessarily um, terrible, depending on how it's done or for what purpose it's done. But considering that it doesn't take away any of the danger to the inmates and that the performances are so over the top and it you know, certainly gets uh, gives Sid Hagen an excuse to drop a hard F or two, um, it, it all felt... Again, you know, this is the big birdcage. Of course it's exploitative. The whole thing is exploitative. But this was such an unnecessary exploitative. And, you know, knowing, you know, that he, uh, that Jack Hill's defense of it as like, (laughs) no, it's not homophobic. Like, what? You don't get to say that, buddy. Like, you know, if someone else wants to tell me it's not, that's fine. But uh, I I think the defense very clearly is gross. I think the defense that you would normally hear, and I believe me, right now I can hear people listening to this and they're like, just chill out, just relax. Who cares? You know, or, and this is the defense I have read in several places, which is he is an equal opportunity offender. So everyone is getting the same treatment here, whether it be race, whether it be sexuality, right? Everyone, it's trying to be as offensive as possible to everybody, so you can't be offended by how homosexuals are presented here because how, say, uh, African-American women are presented, how uh, uh, nymphomaniac white women are presented. I mean, everyone is getting, uh, or revolutionaries, everyone's kind of getting, uh, uh, 
knocked a little bit here. <sighs> I mean, that doesn't hold water to me, especially because, uh, like you said, it's so unnecessary in this particular case. And it's so focused on, I'm thinking specifically, when Sid Haig is brought to the superintendent of this camp and he's hiring him, and, you know, it, it, it it's made very clear that he's supposed to be gay because he's basically being felt up while this process is going on. And then he gives his hand to the uh, the person running the camp and he's got this limp wrist and they just focus on it for a few seconds. It's just like there's there's an extra level of mockery here which feels particularly unpleasant. And it... <clears throat> Some of the gross stuff functions in a certain way. You know what I mean? Like the idea that... Um... The idea that uh, these women are in some sense in danger uh, or that being together in a prison camp, uh, you know, in which at least some of them are actually criminals is not safe. Those all function in the in the narrative in a way that is uh, maybe still gross, but at least there's some you know reason it's there as part of how the story works. There's no reason for this. It's it's only as some sort of, you know, cheap joke. Uh, and and the joke only functions if you think that the gay stereotype uh, when it comes to men is funny, right? You know, it's 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 gross. The same way that like okay, so the racial stuff when it comes to the black characters and the white characters, yeah, there's a sort of equal thing there. Pam Greer is both, you know, uh, a real badass and also the in some ways the hero of the movie. Mm. She's certainly more redeemable than Sid Haig to me within the the narrative. However, there is no redemption for the native folk for whatever whatever context they're supposed to be in the locals are apparently so incapable of controlling themselves that they're going to attack or they you know that there's no one redeemable among them that even the revolutionaries they do something good they they help the the survivors but they they certainly aren't self-functioning not enough to like exist as real people and so you know that the the idea that it's an equal opportunity it's like well I mean, in the sense that, like, the quote-unquote civilized Americans get to be human. Um, but, you know, the only noticeable characters other than them are the sadistic warden and uh, and uh, the the stereotype prison guards. You know what I mean? So I think there's – there's yeah. to me, it's not just about one thing or the other per se. It's about evaluating how each of these things sort of functions within the narrative. And, you know, I, if someone wants to say that they're not stoked on any – women in prison movies that's fine that's i get that but even as someone who's not necessarily against women in prison movies uh, there's some that i think are very good um this doesn't all work which makes me you know we're coming down really hard here let me be clear this is one of the movies that got me into watching <laughs> exploitation films you know like i uh, there's there is stuff here that is fun it's just now as a you know 40 year old uh you know more in touch adult watching this thing i'm thinking uh, some of this grossness is beyond the pale gross. It doesn't need to be like this. It's not just a different time. It's a decision that was being made that is hard to defend. And 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 that's a bummer because I like uh, aspects of this. And honestly, if it wasn't such a horrible stereotype, Vic Diaz is like having fun yeah. in this movie. It, you know it, what it, I mean? it is a little infectious, uh, even though it is offensive at the same time. But I I 
I will say that coming at this uh, as someone who I've seen Vic Diaz in, in a variety of movies, but frankly, he never really registered to me. But watching him here, I can see the appeal. I can see how this is a person who is reveling in the, the, the looseness and the the uh, uniqueness of this role and, and having a lot of fun with it. And I think that's kind of that's something that I'm I'm struggling with overall when it comes to the movie. That there are these campier elements that I think are a lot of fun, and that you know I might even laugh at, but I I feel a little bad about laughing at. I just want to mention just quickly, since I do think that yeah, you're right, we're coming at it a little hard. That I want to point out that there is a Filipino actress in this movie who is presented sympathetically and not one of the prisoners, and that's the prison camp doctor played by Zenaida Amador. Uh, who? Uh, but she's a rat. She, she rats them out. She rats, but she, she almost uns- doesn't rat them out. <laughs> no, 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 no. She don't, doesn't give them all the details. Yeah. She still rats them out. But she at least is sympathetic to the idea. Like she is not the brutalistic uh, uh, dictator-ish warden. And in fact, but she gets unceremoniously crushed by a water tower. She does get well. <laughs> does she? I don't remember. Yeah. No. I mean, it, it's. I think it's a good performance is what I should say. And it's a more multifaceted character than That's pretty true. much yeah. everyone else in the movie. And it's also she gives, has an opportunity as a Filipino actress to give a performance, which in this case, there isn't a lot of other opportunities on display. Uh, just screaming. All the women are screaming and all the men are leering. Screaming or getting naked or, or topless at the very least. It's uh, that that to me is is one of the more. Um, unpleasantly exploitative elements, which is that, oh yeah, we'll hire Filipino actresses, but they'll be in the background and they'll get naked or just or scream, right? That's all they're there to do. Yeah, and 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 I think that's the if you know there are there are small changes to this thing that would make it as uh, I think there you know you're watching an exploitation film. There's going to be an element of sleaze. There's going to be a, a, an element of 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 uh, extremity that you know not everyone's going to be comfortable with but i think that some of the decisions of this one make it not pleasant to watch because they're not necessary for the film to work and to get the effect that you know they don't actually uh uh, add to what is already a dodgy experience it's already a, a, a an iffy prospect is what you're getting in for and then this other stuff is like and and i think you know again that stuff I think is mostly tends to be played for humor with only a few examples of it being part of the, the harshness of the film. But even the fact that it's played for humor doesn't make it more endearing. Mm. You know, again, I don't think the movie becomes unwatchable, but it's hard. It's, it's tough. And it, and it is frustrating, especially, you know, Jack Hill saying, you know, well, I don't respond to violence against women the way I used to when I was younger is a little bit redeeming. Like, oh, okay, you know, I get that. He's he's grown up a little bit. But then for him to just completely write off people's concerns about the gay thieves as just <laughs> not being real, it, because it played in this interview for the listener, he, uh, he, he, when asked about it, he's like, well, it played in one gay theater for a long time. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. That's that one theater means that you know, obviously everyone's concerns are are ill ill met. Like that's ridiculous, you know. And and again, I that doesn't mean the the movie should be burned or some ridiculous thing like that. But I think if he just said like, well, you know, it seemed funny at the time, but in retrospect, maybe it was a little cruel. That's all. That's literally all I would need. You know, maybe I have a lower standard, but that that, that I can't even get that. I can't even get that much so, of an acknowledgement, Liam. I think 
uh, we need to talk about what happens to Rocco after the uprising occurs in the camp. Sure. So yeah. b- before we do that, I want to ask you a question because you're a little bit more familiar with this movie than I am. So there's a part in this movie uh, that I mentioned earlier where a one of the prisoners is crushed by a uh, piece of the big bird cage, which has started to collapse. And afterwards, there's a there's almost an uprising that occurs where the women start grabbing machetes and running towards. Uh, the prison guards, and the warden. And in the midst of that, as it's uh, starting to occur, Pam Greer comes out and she stops the uprising because she knows that later that night there's going to be a scheduled uprising where they're actually going to be assisted, where Sid Haig's character is going to help and all of that. In that second uprising, the uh, the army arrives at the same time and kills almost every one of these female prisoners. <laughs> Do you think that the first uprising actually would have been more successful? Because there's a lot less guards for them to deal with. Uh, yeah, uh, it, possibly. It's hard because the, there's enough distance. The suggestion here is that the larger woman is fast yeah. and, and strong. And so I think um, it's very possible that they all would have gotten shot because they're not as fast and they wouldn't have been able to get on them in time. Right. But would it still have been more successful than what ends up happening sure and i think that's part of the problem with the movie a lot of gross stuff happens to this movie if the women end up actually succeeding and escaping and and there's some suggestion that things might work out for them differently then uh then i think the movie plays a little bit differently Mm. I, i hate to be that sentimental but the fact that the point of the movie seems to be like there's not really any hope and no one is really uh, looking out and, and, and it's sort of a, a certain kind of darkness. Well, that makes the dark parts, other parts of the f- film that much more difficult to put up with. And also uh, I like Anitra Ford as an actress. Um, she's really good in Messiah of Evil. She's, you know, she appeared in a few seventies exploitation movies and here she's, she's good, but that's a really strange character to kind of, to kind of hang your movie on. She's not the most sympathetic. She's supposed to be, I think, kind of Steve McQueen-ish in that, you know, she's like, I'm above it all. I'm I'm not going to lose uh, faith. I'm going to help the people who are downtrodden here. Uh, she, you know, she's a person who's very confident in herself, and she manages to survive, though even her survival at the end is, I'm going to go to Hong Kong, but don't worry. I'm going to be back to he- help the revolution. But we know the revolution is ridiculous. It, there's no nothing behind it at all. Uh, so it, it makes her seem, uh, it kind of undercuts her character a little bit as well, but also just like, she's not very sympathetic, but then again, I guess right. nobody here is particularly sympathetic. Well, that's one of the hard things is that like, uh, one of the things I love about 70s movies is the, the revolution aspect. Yeah. If only for the fact that nowadays we don't, we don't think that there can be even be people who think this is real like in our world there are simply conformists and terrorists and every that, that's it there those are your options is be part of the system or be an, an actual monster worthy of being murdered no matter what the circumstances and and that's those those are the only two categories so the fact that in the 70s there's this idea that there were actual revolutionaries some good some bad whatever uh is in some way endearing however a lot of these exploitation directors are essentially conservative dudes. Mm. You know, they're conservative white men. So, of course, the revolutionaries are always going to be the butt of jokes or unsuccessful or immoral or in some way not worthy of the attention that they're getting in the movie. And, you know, in some ways that can work, actually. I'm not looking for, for heroes, per se, but a lot of times it actually betrays the narrative because 
it's so focused on making that point that it doesn't really work as as a thing that I'm watching. And and that's how I feel in this film. Like I like Sid Haig so doesn't give a fuck that it doesn't work. <laughs> if you want me to believe he's inept, that's fine. If you want me to believe that he could be corrupted, that's fine. But the whole thing is a work. From the beginning it's a work. And not only is he working these poor uh quote unquote not Filipinos. He's also working <laughs> Pam Greer. And I think that in the end is 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 why Pam Greer can't be the hero of the movie. That mm. Anitra Ford has to be the smart one because she's above it all. And there's a bit of a sexual I think it plays really poorly. But I think it's intended to be a bit of a like a in being a libertine, she's above all the other ideas in the film right it doesn't work because uh, i don't think jack hill actually respects women so he can't really make her the character that she would need to be for that to work in the film but if you take away that angle pam greer should be the hero of the movie she's the only logical hero of the movie and she she can't be because she's been the butt of sid Haig's manipulation granted it's light manipulation i really do think he cares about her but i don't think he cares enough about her for them to work as some sort of like special couple or anything yeah it's made very clear that the idea of of rescuing uh if you can call it that women from this prison camp to bring them to their revolutionary camp is because he's horny for women as well and doesn't have any specific interest uh, in Blossom, Pam Greer's character, outside of the fact that they have, I guess, really good sexual chemistry. And in fact, they seem to fight all the time as well. By the way, Pam Greer, not in this movie as much as you might think. She disappears for probably the first half of it for the most part uh, and then shows up at the end. It, uh, I, I felt like, again, she was going to be the Steve McQueen-ish character brought in at the beginning to kind of d- define a lot of the roles of the prison. You could almost combine the Anitra Ford and Pam Greer character into one. And that I think might've been a little bit more effective, but let's go back Liam and talk about what happens to Rocco, Vic Diaz's character. Once the women do rise up and they, uh, he is brought to the women's, uh, um, uh, bedding area, the bed area. And basically the women are told they can do whatever they want with him as long as he keeps quiet. What do they do? Liam? Well, they rape him. They do. They, uh, they get him hard, and, and then our horniest character has sex with him that culminates in an explosion outside, which she thinks is connected to her orgasm. Um, it's a, it's a, so th- this is the, the one of the worst parts of the movie for me that's really hard, uh, because I think within the context of the film, these people are not taking seriously the idea. I, and this is something that, that is worth acknowledging that for a while, I don't think people really took seriously the idea of male rape in this way you know, like that, that, uh, you know, obviously men uh, could be raped by other men, but the idea that this sort of, uh, um, uh, uh, unconsensual sexual uh, attention is also rape was not something that people were taking seriously at the time and so this is played as a very funny this is supposed to be funny for yeah. everyone mm-hmm. that this gay guy has to have sex with these women and again uh, I guess I understand that that's how people saw it but there had to be somebody watching this movie that was horrified you know what I mean like I, I, this the, the idea 
that we're all just too sensitive now and and if we weren't so sensitive we'd see the implied humor it's just really hard for me to to even i not understand like i'm going to disagree with it no matter what but even to understand where it comes you know what i mean like i don't even it's not an issue of someone has a perspective that i disagree with i don't understand how anyone has this perspective i historically get it that this was a perspective people had at a time but i don't I don't even know how you get there. It seems so unpleasant and so gross to me that it's like one of the weirdest, most disturbing parts of the movie because I'm like, this is a horrifying thing and and it's entirely supposed to be funny. A lot of the other unpleasant movements in the movie are unpleasant to the viewer as well. They're played as unpleasant and this is not played that way at all. And of course, if you, uh, and this point has been made in a lot of of write-ups about this movie, that if you gender swap this, if this was a lesbian prison guard who was gang raped by men it it even at that time it might not have flown in a movie but because of the titillation right. aspect of this i mean female on male sexual violence has been it i think was treated as a joke i mean well into the 90s and still in some yeah, movies agreed um, agreed and again I, I look i don't want to downplay the fact that this movie also has a lot of both implied and shown sexual violence with men towards women and that is obviously a much larger issue for the world as a whole and something that's played off of in a lot of these 70s movies but that doesn't make this any less horrific and the aftermath of it isn't exactly pleasant either because uh once the women leave and they leave vic diaz's character alive what then happens liam oh and then he gets there there's oh this is also great there's a whole cage of of women who are quote-unquote crazy or traumatized whatever it mm-hmm. is and they're unleashed and then they basically eat him yeah slash i think assault they, him i think they the, eat him <laughs> the suggestion is they attack him in such a wild way that he couldn't possibly defend himself if he even if he wanted to the wild women so, the ripping and the tearing yeah oh my gosh <laughs> so yeah i mean uh, it's it's a really strange thing um uh, for me in that i get this is tied almost not just all these things are connected. So part of the uh, the prejudice and uh, homophobia towards all gay folks, but specifically towards gay men, is actually tied to how we see women and how we see masculinity and uh, and a lot of the attitude about this idea of women raping men is tied to how the these folks saw masculinity, and I think. That scene is, in the worst kind of irony, meant to be one of the more empowering moments of the movie, which makes it that much harder for me. Because it's like, how does no one know that this is as horrifying as it is? Because I really think it's played in the context of the film as like, you're supposed to be like stoked uh, that this is happening. Well, I mean, the reason that you notice this, Liam, is because you are a SJW beta cut virtue sure. signaling yeah. white knight and right. uh and frankly you shouldn't be you shouldn't have the privilege of watching exploitation movies because Fair. because you can't just watch them with the uh um intention in which they were made which is just to have a good time man <laughs> the, the 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 crazy thing about this is is when people make this sort of argument is like there are plenty 
plenty of, of movies just as salacious that make less horrifying uh, moves than this movie. You know what I mean? Like the, the idea that if you're not down with a movie like The Big Bird Cage and you can't be down with exploitation films is so such a bummer. It's such a bummer to me. But, you know, it is what it is. If someone wants to decide that uh, this, <laughs> this podcast is too beta cuck for them, that's okay. I mean, to be fair, though, again, it doesn't deter me from wanting to watch more Vic Diaz movies. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I'm pretty stoked on it. And and I don't know if this is how you feel, but I'll just name this for how I feel. Part of the reason I'm so hard on this movie is because I think it could be a good movie. When I'm watching a total turd and there's something gross in it, it's actually uh, it's less of a bummer for me because I'm like, eh, whatever, this thing sucks. You know what I mean? Like, Of course, these jerks. It's that uh, you know Jack Hill is pretty good at this. And uh, and this movie, there's a world where this movie exists with less gross stuff in it, and yeah. it's just as entertaining and fun. And no one who thinks that we're soft, uh, whiny boys is actually going to enjoy the film any less. That none <laughs> of the things that bum us out are actually why you enjoy the film. You just think it's that way because you don't like us. I mean, I, I I don't also want this to be a general condemnation of Jack Hill as a filmmaker. I love Coffee and I love Foxy Brown and I yep. I really love uh, Spider Baby. So I mean, it, there's a lot of his films I like. To 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 be fair, if you compare Coffee and Foxy Brown, uh, uh, Coffee is a lot less offensive than Foxy Brown. There are actually one or two sequences in Foxy Brown that I think, come on, buddy, sure, you know, this doesn't need to be there. That's fair because and, and partly. By his own admission. I mean, this is the thing with Jack Hill, right? Just compare Jack Hill's movies to other Jack Hill movies, and you'll see that some of his decisions are not needed to make a good movie. That sometimes he goes you know, to a place where I don't need him to go, and he didn't need to because here's an example of the same, basically the same movie that's a little less gross than the other one. So I've never seen The Big Dollhouse, the women in prison movie that Jack Hill made, also with Pam Greer, also in the Philippines, before this one. Uh, so I don't know how it necessarily compares if it has similarly uh, difficult elements within it. But is that a movie that you are familiar with uh, in regards to how it compares to this movie? I mean, so I want to say yes, because I know that I've seen both of these movies. But I'll be 100% honest that um, I really thought it was the other way around, that the big dollhouse <laughs> was the gross one and that this one was actually pretty fun. Uh, and again, that might just come from having watched it like so long ago. Um, but, you know, I, I'll just go ahead and say, yeah, the, that one's a lot less gross than this one. And and let someone else tell me why I'm wrong. <laughs> because I very much could be. I, I'm just going to own that, that like I haven't watched either one of these movies in a long time. And. Um, yeah, I think I tend to think that Big Dollhouse because, you know, one of these movies. So one of these movies I actually first saw on 16 millimeter in <laughs> a prison, uh, <laughs> Eastern State Penitentiary, which is no longer an active prison, uh, hosted a screening from um, the uh, one of these lost cinema sort of organizations in Philadelphia. Sure. Showed it in the prison on 16 millimeter. And I saw it with my wife who was my not my wife at the time and uh and we had fun with it there was it was still you know it's a women in prison movie there's parts that are salacious and all that sure but um and then i remember watching the other one and finding it a little bit harder to to stomach and so i i'm gonna go ahead and say this one is a little bit more over the top and the other one is a little bit easier to watch but 
I could be wrong, and maybe now I'm just at a point in my life where uh, neither one of these movies are going to work for me. I, I don't know. Uh, you know, neither one of them are Female Prisoner 701 Scorpion, which is really what I want. <laughs> well, that's a movie with plenty of nudity and plenty of violence, but actually works for me in a way that these movies don't. Well, I guess uh, at least we have a recommendation coming out of this. So what are we saying here? Should people check out The Big Birdcage, if only for the performance from Vic Diaz? I'm going to say that uh, this is a this is yet another uh, opportunity for people to uh, use their own discernment. Um, if you're not stoked on violence against women, then this movie has it enough. Again, not as bad as it could be. I don't want to overstate things here, uh, but enough that I think this is going to be hard, uh, a hard watch. Um, and I think also if, if you're someone for whom, um, for obvious reasons, that uh, straight folks mincing around and pretending to be uh, gay men is uh, going to bum you out, sure. But I think there are some folks for whom that is campy for them and that the campiness of this film is going to carry through some of the grossness. Um, uh, like I said, I think there's a couple of unforgivable things in, in this movie, but it, it still works as a movie. It's still very entertaining. So I think you're going to have to operate on your own discernment here about what works for you and what doesn't. There's definitely going to be people listening to this episode who think that we're a bummer and that movies <laughs> like this are, are just fun. Then if that's how you feel, there's no, I mean, this is actually pretty good as a movie. There's a lot here to enjoy, and if you're, you know, some sort of uh, uh, cultureless, soulless, uh, probably white dude who uh, really doesn't care about any of these things, uh, you know, you might have fun with this. Uh, I, I don't know. I think for me, I wish I had more fun with it because the parts I like are very good. Um, but I think this this is probably the last time I'm going to watch this movie, unfortunately, because um, it just doesn't work for me. Uh, but I might fire up the big dollhouse soon and just see if it's maybe a little less gross. If you do, listener, want to check out uh, the big birdcage, you can actually watch it for free at the moment on ShoutFactoryTV.com. They have a very nice version of the movie watching streaming, again, for free on the website, so you can check it out for yourself. Liam, I, I feel like... It's funny that we seem to have similar opinions in us on this movie, but when I rated it on Letterboxd, I still gave it a three-star rating because I did feel like I got enough enjoyment out of it. I was certainly never bored while watching it, and I thought it was crafted well. It was just crafted for an audience that isn't me necessarily. Uh, and and even that isn't always the case. Again, there was a lot of entertainment value I got out of this, but this is one of those things where you really have to weigh for yourself if the problematic elements are enough for you to uh, be driven off or uh, disgusted or distracted from the movie over the elements that might be more fun and campy and um, and kind of traditionally exploitative in a way that you can handle. So, I mean, you know, every person can decide that for themselves. I, I think that three-star, though, is telling because I would put forward that for both you and me, if this movie didn't have those elements but had all the other stuff that's, like, fun and silly and whatever, it would get a higher rating oh, yeah. for both of us. Absolutely. I mean, I, I, I think at this point it's actually a two-and-a-half for me out of five. If we're doing, sure. if we're doing a five, it's a two-and-a-half for me. But uh, but that's that two-and-a-half might, might seem a little harsh or whatever, but mine is down a little bit because I know that if it had just one or two things a little different, I would – Friggin' love it. I would friggin' love it because I, I, I love this kind of movie. This is just a little too much for me. Well, I think as an introduction to Vic Diaz, for me, it still works because I have been left uh, very interested and curious about 
what is else what else is going on in his career you know it's kind of funny i watched uh the maltese falcon for the millionth time a couple days ago and peter Lorre, of course has a very memorable role in that film and he is also supposed to be gay in that movie and it's made very uh explicit even though no one addresses it directly he has a i think a, a business card that smells of gardenias and he dresses in kind of a foppish way and has a slightly effeminate way of speaking and that's all the movie does to present that uh and it's interesting to think of Vic Diaz being considered the Peter Lorre-esque uh, actor of the Philippines and seeing how you know uh, 20 or 30 years later how that same sort of character might have be presented but Liam where are we going next in the career of Vic Diaz. Well, Doug, uh, it seems like since we started right sort of smack dab in the middle, in order to focus on that later uh, part of Filipino exploitation film, we're going to be talking about 1988's White Force, uh, directed by Eddie Romero, who I don't know who that is. Oh, I thought uh, I, I, one of the reasons I wanted to suggest this movie to you is because it was directed by Eddie Romero, who... Um, is a, a a Filipino director, but particularly in the mid seventies, he made the Twilight People and Beyond Atlantis and Savage Sisters, like a oh, lot of those movies. Kind you're, of... Okay, I'm looking right now. You're totally right. That's on me. Savage Sisters is actually well, maybe this whole thing about me re- reevaluating all of my tastes. <laughs> but I remember really liking Savage Sisters, really liking Black Mama, White Mama, uh, really liking uh, Twilight People. Although this has him listed as director of The Woman Hunt, but uh, I thought that was directed by Jack Hill. I mean, I think uh, in this, well, he's he's credited as the only director, though Jack Hill gets a writing credit on that movie. Oh, writing credit. You're right. You're right. That's but uh, my, my understanding is that Sergio Santiago and Eddie Romero are like the two big Filipino exploitation directors of that time period. Sure, 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 and and I like I said, I have actually seen a few of his movies. I uh, just had not remembered the name. Um, uh, also, White Force starring Sam Jones, Flash Gordon. I just clicked away from it. That was my <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, I'm excited for that. And and like we said, I I definitely uh, I'm definitely excited for this because uh, while I've seen it looks like probably about seven Vic Diaz movies. My man made 159 films, so uh, or was part of rather. Films. So there's going to be a lot here for us to sift through. Uh, if it turns out that uh, it's a it's a tough wade, then this you know might become a different podcast. But right now, I'm pretty stoked on on continuing on. And if you want to watch White Force ahead of time, you can watch that on Tubi, the streaming service that is ad supported for free. Uh, I think it's TubiTV.com, or just do a search for White Force Tubi, and you should be able to check it out. Liam, if people want to find out more about Cinema Smorgasbord or the work of Vic Diaz, what's the best way for them to do so? <laughs> well, I don't know if those are necessarily <laughs> the same thing. But uh, they, they can uh, check us out at cinepunks.com. They can check uh, Cinema Smorgasbord. What is our Twitter, actually? Doug? It's Cinema Smorg. At Cinema Smorg, that's S-M-O-R-G. And, of course, they can go over to cinemasmorgasbord.com and check out all of our other thematic podcasts as well as subscribe to the show uh, and uh, and find out where else we can be seen in the world. Yeah, uh, we really appreciate you checking us out uh, and continuing on with us as we unveil some more of the uh, various themes of Cinema Smorgasbord uh, and, and maybe discover some new ones together as well. Yeah. 
Thank you so much, folks. And uh, Liam, of course, can be found on Twitter at Liam Rules. That's R U L Z, Liam, which is, of course, yeah, nobody, an idiotic, ridiculous. No, nobody Twitter. wants to follow me. That's I silly. think you should. should. Really just, I'm not telling people you should that they really shouldn't. just follow you, which is uh, at Doug Tilly. What is it again? Oh is it God. underscore Tilly? Oh, my T I. <laughs> and it's T I. Liam, we've recorded, what, probably 100 podcasts at this point. And I actually always find you by. Doing Boner Vivant. That's how I find you. <laughs> well, you can find me on Twitter at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E-Y. Uh, but, Liam, I think it's time for us to wrap up. We'll be back again very soon with another Cinema Smorgasbord special presentation. I guess we should say good night for now. Or good day. Whatever it is. I don't care. Just keep watching movies, folks. Watch Vic Diaz movies. <laughs> okay, Bye. Bye. <laughs> Caretaker, cause he was a maker Looked at me and laughed, took another sip from his glass He said, oh,